We've heard that geoengineering is an option that can help us fight the effects of climate change. But how exactly does this all work? Can trees save us all from climate change? How do volcanoes combat global warming? Hello listeners and welcome to Operation Climate, the podcast where we cover all the ins and outs of climate change and geoengineering. Today, we're going to be answering these questions. So to give a quick recap, in the last episode, we talked about the history of weather control and introduced how geoengineering came to be. But how exactly can we manipulate the globe? My first guess would be carefully, but what about the specifics? In this episode, we're going to cover the basics of the two technologies that may have the potential to help the climate crisis. Those technologies are carbon dioxide removal, or CDR, and solar radiation management, or SRM. To talk about these technologies, I am joined by Natasha and Matthew. The idea of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere seems like a pretty great way to reduce climate change, but is it really possible? And what kind of technology would we have to develop to do it? Yes, and we already have several different technologies that hold the potential to significantly reduce CO2 levels. In fact, a form of that technology has existed for a very long time, and you probably have it in your own backyard. Do you mean plants? Generally, the term geoengineering tends to evoke the idea of humans altering the planet in unnatural, man-made ways. How do plants fit into that? Geoengineering doesn't have to be unnatural. In fact, many methods involve using or mimicking natural processes. Reforestation and afforestation, which really just mean planting trees, are not the most efficient ways of removing CO2, but they are probably the simplest and most widely accepted. However, planting trees is just one of many ways we can geoengineer the planet. There are other ways of getting carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere too, and CDR includes them all. That means anything from using complicated chemical reactions to capture the CO2 in the air so it can be harvested, which is called direct air capture, to fertilizing the ocean so phytoplankton do the work of catching CO2 for us. With all the stigma around climate intervention, it's easy to overlook some of the simpler methods. Now, you mentioned fertilizing the ocean. That sounds a little more outlandish than trees. What exactly does it mean? Just like you might put fertilizer in your garden to make your plants grow bigger and faster, biochemists found that you can put iron in the ocean to cause massive phytoplankton blooms, which can soak up tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. Literally, thousands of tons of carbon. One biochemist named John Martin even joked, give me a half a tanker of iron and I'll give you an ice age. Are you saying solving the climate crisis is really as easy as dumping a tanker of iron into the ocean? Unfortunately, no. There's still a lot of research to be done on ocean fertilization and whether it would actually be effective long term. And there are other CDR options to consider, each with their own advantages and disadvantages. Right. Speaking of other options, you also mentioned direct air capture. Could you explain what that is? Well, as the name implies, direct air capture, or DAC, involves directly taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. There are two main methods, each of which uses a different set of chemicals, but the processes are generally very similar. Outside air is brought into the DAC plant, either using fans or natural airflow. 
the air is brought into contact with chemical filters that absorb the CO2. Then a series of chemical reactions separate the CO2 from the filters so they can be reused. A pure stream of CO2 results, and it can be stored underground to make sure it stays out of the atmosphere. That sounds like a pretty complex process. Are there any other options that are a bit less complicated? I don't know about less complicated, but there are several other methods. Two big ones are biochar and BEX. In the biochar method, dead plants that have absorbed and stored CO2 over the course of their lifetime are burned to make charcoal. This charcoal can then be put into the soil to enrich it. The charcoal can store the carbon in the soil for millennia, preventing it from re-entering the atmosphere. BEX, which stands for Bioenergy Carbon Capture and Sequestration, uses trees and crops to create fuel for energy production, and in the process removes the CO2 the plants capture during their lifetimes to store it someplace that it can't escape back into the atmosphere. That's a lot to take in. After everything you've said, it seems like there are a lot of technologies out there for CO2 removal. It's hard to believe we still have too much carbon in the atmosphere with all these different methods getting rid of it. It may look that way, but it's important to remember that each of these technologies have trade-offs that limit their ability to be used at a large scale. For example, reforestation and afforestation sound great, but trees take up a lot of land and water. Ocean fertilization seems quick and easy, but we don't know how ocean ecosystems would react. Direct air capture is really efficient, but it's also really expensive. Biochar and BEX come across as simple and effective, but growing biomass for biochar could negatively affect ecosystems, and in some situations, BEX could use significant resources. So, overall, there is still a lot to be learned and improved when it comes to CDR technologies. Thanks so much, Natasha. Now, if the scale of the CDR is not big enough to cool down the Earth, are there any other options? Well, the way carbon emissions heat the globe is by absorbing sunlight. So in order to cool the Earth, we must do the opposite and reflect the solar radiation before it even gets trapped in the atmosphere. Over the past decade, scientists have developed a suite of technologies called Solar Radiation Management, or SRM, that keeps sunlight out of the atmosphere. This includes mimicking a volcanic eruption, making the clouds brighter, or even large space mirrors. Those seem pretty outlandish to me. How do we know if they would even work? Well, they might seem pretty out there, but drastic times call for pretty drastic measures, and this climate crisis definitely qualifies as such. As for their efficiency, while enhancing cloud reflectivity and physically reflecting sunlight with a mirror seem functional at least, the only historically proven technology is SAI. This stands for Stratospheric Aerosol Injection, and it uses sulfur particles sprayed high in the atmosphere to reflect the sun. Sulfur. The same sulfur that smells like rotten eggs? Why would we want that up in the stratosphere? Well, if you've heard of Pinatubo, it's this volcano in the Philippines, and when it erupted in 1991, it spewed tons and tons of sulfur high up in the atmosphere. The result was a reflective blanket of tiny liquid sulfur particles, and it actually cooled the globe around 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit. So because there is this history of sulfur cooling the globe, scientists are now researching ways to strategically inject it in the atmosphere to avoid catastrophic temperatures. Injecting seems like a pretty scary word, don't you think? Especially when toying with the atmosphere can have so many negative impacts around the world. 
Of course, SAI is definitely risky. Even the scientists researching the field hoped that we'd never implement this technology on a large scale. Rather, stratospheric aerosol injection is just one of the many tools that geoengineering offers. The bottom line is that SAI only reduces the temperature, but does little to help the accumulation of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The number one priority is reducing our carbon emissions, and no matter what technology is developed, nothing can save us unless we find a way away from fossil fuels. So why would we use SRM if it doesn't address the root cause of the problem we're having? Well, as you might know, the Great Barrier Reef is dying due to heat stress and the ocean is becoming more acidic. Further, about 90% of the world's coral reefs could be dead by 2050. So SRM is being considered in order to preserve cooler temperatures until we can mitigate enough emissions to have these sustainable ecosystems. To try to protect both the ecosystem and the massive tourist business that it brings, Australia is currently researching a form of local SRM called marine cloud brightening. This means that special ships will take in ocean salt water and release it in a fine spray into the atmosphere. This in turn makes clouds brighter and reflects more sunlight, reducing the amount of heat the corals experience. So we can think of SRM more of as a band-aid rather than a solution that actually heals the problem? Exactly. This analogy can apply to all of geoengineering, actually. The world is hurting and warming at alarming rates, but geoengineering only acts as a band-aid to tie us over until the real solution, namely mitigation, can take its full effect. Thank you, Matthew. And that brings us to our conclusion here at Operation Climate. Our lives, our kids' lives, and everyone else's lives after that are or are going to be affected by climate change. If our world keeps operating business as usual, we're going to have less time to enjoy the beautiful things that the Earth brings us. We hope this podcast has made you more aware of what climate change may bring and of potential options we have to fight those effects. We may hear more and more about geoengineering as time goes on, and we want you to be informed. Thanks so much for tuning in to Operation Climate. My name is Catherine, and along with Matthew, Natasha, Roseanne, and Sergio, we brought this podcast to you as part of a Bass Connections research project at Duke University. Visit Bass Connections at Duke online to learn more.